reason, I wanted to take a look at Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in, thank you, Harp, beginning in verse 1, reading through to verse 12. But I'm going to actually focus, after I read it, I'm going to focus on verse 11. But it's always good to read these passages within the context. Verse 1, Matthew chapter 2, says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem and the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he, was, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they were rejoicing, or they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, notice the house, not the stable, by the way, or the manger, uh, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their country another way. So, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning and help us to glean from this passage that which you have from us. Help us to consider what it is that we have to give to you as gifts. What is our gold? What is our frankincense? And what is our myrrh? So teach us, instruct us, fill us with your spirit that we might hear from you and fill me with your spirit that you may teach through me. And again, Lord, we, we, we do thank you for this year that we are leaving. We are also thankful that we're getting out of it. And we do pray, hopefully, looking forward to a, to a better 2021. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. This is really, to me, an interesting passage, and, and I remember nativity scenes customarily have the kings there at, at, the, uh, at the nativity. As a matter of fact, we used to have one. I don't know. It's around here somewhere. We have a nativity scene, and I wouldn't let anybody put the kings out, right? Because the, the kings were not there at the time of Jesus' birth, if we want to call them kings, okay? I, I guess I'm dialed into that. They, the Bible doesn't even call them kings. They call them wise men. Actually, 
a better term for them would be magi. Um, so they were they were the magi, um, probably from the region of Babylon. So they were Gentiles. And it, it tells us that they, they see the star. They, they're from the east. The word east is translated from the Greek word anatole, which, which means that which is from the far rising. It's a reference to the rising of the sun, actually. And, and so it was that area to the east. I looked on a map, and, and um, the ancient city of Babylon pretty much lies due east of Israel. It's about 720 miles away, by the way. So it's, it's a fair distance. Matter of fact, Ezra chapter 7, verse 9, I believe, tells us that when they left, that is when uh, Judah left Babylon, when the people left captivity in Babylon, it took them about four months to get back to Israel, get back to Judah. And, uh, and, and so probably it is that these wise men Hopefully I won't call them kings again. But anyway, hope, uh, probably it was that these wise men might have taken a little less time. But I would imagine that on the first sighting of this star, they didn't say, oh, there's the star of the king of, of the Jews. Well, let's pack up and get out of here. It probably took them a bit to recognize what they were looking at. And it probably took them a bit to pack the camels, right? Instead of the station wagon, they packed the camels. Okay, so and... and um, and then for them to head across the desert, three and a half, four months worth of journey, because they had seen a star. And they knew that it was the star of the king of the Jews. So how'd they know that? Prophecy. But how they know that the star was the sign. It, that's what's really, it, prophecy is correct, yes. And Babylon, there was a lot of influence uh, because not all of the Jews who were brought into captivity and, and taken away into Babylon, not all of them went home. And they also practiced, I believe, their, their faith. And so uh, they probably heard it through some type of prophecy. But I also believe it was a divine revelation. Um, because there, there isn't really a whole lot in the Old Testament that really talks about the star will be, will be in the sky as a sign to them. And notice that, now it's interesting because the, the what was it, Saturn and Jupiter? Is that, those are the two, I went out and watched it, it was kind of fun, took a couple of pictures, they look horrible. Um, so much for an iPhone, right? But, I mean, it's only a camera, okay? I mean, it's a, it's a telephone, Right? Anyway, I took a few pictures for fun, and, and uh, some people were referring to that as the Bethlehem star. Call it what you will, I guess. But if you notice in the text, what did the star do? It appeared in the east. And we get this impression that it was up there every night, and they're following the star every night. They're not sure where they're going. Somehow, I think they got some, some type of divine revelation. Because notice it also says that, that when they're in Jerusalem, um, in verse 9, uh, the star that they had seen, that's past tense, by the way, the star that they had seen in the east, where? In, in, in Babylon. The star that they had seen appeared and went before them, uh, and it came and it stood over where the young child was. To me, that's supernatural. 
That's supernatural. That, is, that, that isn't something that, that is a normal cosmic occurrence. And it, it, it even tells us in verse 10 that when they saw the star, they had rejoiced and they were, they were in seemingly great joy. Why? Because they didn't have to go knock on every door in Bethlehem. And, and somehow God used this, this, uh, this star in such a way that led them to the very place where Jesus was. What's interesting about that, it is often the case that when God begins to stir in someone's heart, they will be in a place where they will see the star afar off. They will receive that calling, that, that, that inkling, that, that inclination that, 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 that God is, is leading in some way, some shape, some form to do something. You fill in your blank, Okay. And often it is that you will see it in the place that you are currently at, but it doesn't mean that that fulfillment of that calling is always intended to be instantaneous. They had to step out on faith. And they pursued what they had received in the stars. Psalm 19, the heavens do what? Declare the glory of God and the firmament his handiworks. Somehow, in some way, they had, they had received some type of revelation that that star meant something. And so they pursued it. Imagine almost four months on the back of a camel across the desert. Doesn't sound to me like a whole lot of fun. Um, I think about Mary, eight and, eight and three-quarter months pregnant or more on the back of a donkey about 90 miles. That must, and then so it's interesting that, that when, when, when the Lord comes, when Christ comes, he requires those to take some type of a journey. I think, I think that is a very in, intense spiritual application that you give some thought to. And sometimes the journey that you take in a spiritual sense happens when you don't even leave your own house or place of residence. Um, that this idea of this this pilgrimage that we that we are called to be on, and and God gives this 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 sign that they had while they were in the east, they pursue it. And it, from what I can gather in the text, that star was not there constantly, but it reappeared because when they saw it, they were glad. Oh, great! Now we there's a star. Now we know where we're going again. Because notice they didn't go immediately to Bethlehem where they first go. They went to Jerusalem. In other words, it, it was probably their best educated guess, if that makes sense. And they were like, well, we might as well go to Jerusalem. Would it not make sense that Messiah would be born in Jerusalem? It would to me, especially if I hadn't read Micah, which is this, or Matthew, which is, this is here in Matthew 2. That's a quote from Micah. We looked at that passage a couple weeks ago. And, and, and so it is that God does things that are very unconventional. And he, he looks for the, for, for the lowly to do his work in. He looks for those uh, that, that have a, a heart of humility and, and desire to serve him. Not, not necessarily those who are the best uh, qualified for the job. They step out on faith. They go across the desert on a camel, probably a camel. It could have been other animals. 
Although it's interesting because Isaiah chapter 60 talks about this. Um, I'll, get, I'll pull it out and read it to you real fast. Isaiah chapter 60, right around verse 1. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and the deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And, and then it goes on, uh, in verse 5, they shall see and they will become radiant and your heart shall swell with, with joy because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover your land. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come and they shall bring gold and incense. Incense could also be frankincense and also the myrrh that we're going to look at in just a bit. And, and so um, you have this prophecy in, in Isaiah chapter 60, which I, I don't know that these, these magi, these wise men, had read this and understood this and realized that this actually pertained to them. But, but nonetheless, uh, the Gentiles will come to your light. We, we see that, that this, the Gentiles were not an afterthought. Uh, from the very beginning, according to John chapter 4, verse 42, that Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. And, and so they were given light. They were given some type of an understanding, and the Bible does not fully uh, give us the full details of how it is that they understood what they were pursuing. But the thing is, that I, this is a principle here that we have to grab a hold of, that at least I hope we grab a hold of, is that is when God gives you some form of light, pursue that light. And when God gives you some form of light and you pursue that light, then he will follow that up with what? More light. More understanding. And so what the Lord is calling them to do as the Lord is calling us to do is to step out on faith. They follow the star the star rest over the top of the house where Jesus is. Now this, now, now think about it. If, if the star, here's a big if, okay, if, all right? So I'm speculating. If the star first appeared the night that Jesus was born and it took them three and a half to four months to get there plus their preparation time, plus their understanding of what it was that they were supposed to pursue, plus a little bit of time in Jerusalem, uh, Jesus was probably at the uh, at, in the least, probably about four months of age at this time, probably older than that. So the shepherds had already gone back to the, they, they were back up in the hills doing what they did, right? So they show up and they open up their treasures, it says. And they, uh, to me, the, this, the, this is an incredible thing, that, that an illustration for us, because they open up these treasures and they bring to the Lord gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
And the gold, frankincense, and myrrh speak of three different attributes of who Jesus is and how it is that we are to worship him. Because worship, true worship is, and, and David understood this, uh, when, when, uh, when, he, when he was offered the threshing floor of Ornan to, uh, to have to build the temple on, he said, I'm, I'm not going to offer anything to the Lord that which cost me nothing. He understood that true worship is going to cost something. And so what we have here is that we have uh, uh, gold, which is a gift worthy of the king. Gold is a gift worthy of a king. And matter of fact, you think about how, how Jesus, or excuse me, how the Lord um, instructed them to build the tabernacle. Then later on, the temple. Primarily, everything was either built made of gold or it was overlaid with gold. So you, you walked into the tabernacle and then later on the temple uh, and you had all these ornaments that were made of gold. It's, it's an expression of, of, of the king. Um, and, and this idea of gold relating to the first thing in worship is gold relates to his lordship. Gold relates to his lordship. First Timothy chapter six verse fifteen it, it refers to the Lord, which um, uh, who is the blessed and the only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So gold represents his lordship, and when we come in to worship the Lord, we are to come in recognizing who he is in our lives. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14 says, And they will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and that they are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Uh, Jesus, again, he asked the question in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do what? Not do the things that I say. So it, it's important that, that we establish Firmly in our hearts. I'm speaking to Christians, right? But it's important that we firmly establish in our hearts his lordship in our lives. Paul said it very well um, to the Corinthians when he, when he, when he, he said, Know ye not that, that uh, your body is not your own? That you've been bought, you've been paid for with a price. And, and so... Uh, the first aspect of worship is the recognition of his lordship. Now, I think often it is that we, we, we like to call him Lord, but we really want to treat him like a partner. Don't we want to treat him like a partner? Because Jesus also calls his what? His what? His friends. He calls us his friends. So if I'm, me and Jesus are friends, we're buddies, then I want to start thinking about him as a partner. But, but in true worship, we, we recognize that he is Lord. That means he is boss. And of course, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, 
The Greek word for Lord is kurios, and that word kurios is, tra- is what is translated for the proper name of God. In other words, it, it, it puts God in that proper place of recognizing that, that he is always higher than we are. Isaiah says that his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are beyond our finding out. The distance is necessary. Because what was the temptation that caused Eve to succumb to the first sin? What was she tempted with? Not a nice, bright, juicy apple that tasted so good. It was that you would become as God. The true temptation, I think, in all of our hearts is, is that we want to make ourselves somewhat equal with God. So that, that, that's how the Antichrist is described in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where he makes himself, he, he proclaims himself to try to be equal with God, proclaiming himself as God, which of course he is neither. Gold is a representation of his lordship. And so when I come and I bring my gold to, I'm speaking figuratively here now, uh, but when I come and I bring my gold to the Lord in worship, I am recognizing his lordship. Not only that, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 tells us that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That our faith in him, Peter tells us, is much more precious than gold that perishes. But I also believe that what Peter is referring to, he's talking about having... I don't have a good word for this. I'm just going to say it. A proper faith. A correct faith. A biblical faith. Now, hopefully we all have a biblical faith in some way, shape, and form. I'm still growing in my theology. I hope you are in yours. How's that? I'm still trying to reason and think and study these things through and and there are in some aspects of theology there are things that quite frankly are not completely solvable that's my opinion but nonetheless I want to know more about who the Lord is and yet recognizing that it is my faith my understanding my trust in him that is more precious than gold. Sometimes I wonder if my faith, my trust in him when I prayed to receive Christ as an eight-year-old boy was probably more precious to him then than maybe it is now because it was fully an unabandoned trusting in God, trusting that he had, what he said was true and that I, I could believe in it and I could, I could, apprehend it gold is the 
representation of his lordship and lordship recognizing of his lordship is absolutely essential in worship. Second of all, then they gave him frankincense. Frankincense is, is it, it, it was used by the priest in worship. Matter of fact, what's interesting in the book of Exodus chapter 30, we're not going to take the time to turn there. But it is describing temple worship. And all three of these elements, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, are described and used and are, are a part of the worship in the tabernacle later on in the temple. You can look at it later. I'd read the whole chapter, Exodus chapter 30. But these, these three gifts come together. But frankincense was, was, um, was used in, in, by the priest as a worship offering to God. And frankincense, more than anything, I believe it speaks of his divinity. Frankincense speaks of the divinity of Jesus. Because in the temple, frankincense was, was actually, they were actually would beat it and form it into an incense, and you would burn incense. And what did the burning of incense represent in the tabernacle and then later the temple? It represented the prayers of the people. So, when you are praying, hopefully, you are praying to whom? To God. And you are going before God with your request in prayer, the burning of the frankincense type of incense. In Exodus 30, verse, uh, 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 verses 34, uh, um, <clears throat> if you're interested in it, you have... You have different spices that are mixed together, but the main essential ingredient of those spices was frankincense. And that the frankincense represents prayer, but it also represents divinity. In Psalm chapter one, uh, Psalm 141 verse 2, says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. The burning of incense in the tabernacle, later the temple, was a representation of the prayers of the people. And, and I, I really think that ties quite into the gold, the lordship. Why? Why do you pray? Why do you pray? Don't answer. Well, you, if you want to, you can. I, I, think, I think we pray primarily out of need. Even if you pray simply prayers of worship, I suspect when you do that, and hopefully you do, I suspect when you do that, part of that is driven by your understanding that we are called and we really need to worship. Because that old theologian, Bob Dylan, said you're going to worship somebody. And he was right about that. We're, this is how we are made. And, and so, we, we, the, uh, 
Again, the prayers referring to the burning of incense and the burning of incense that was done in the tabernacle, then the temple, in the morning sacrifice, and then again, I love this picture, in the evening sacrifice. And and do we do have we established, have you established that type of a rhythm rhythm for your life? I think that's an interesting question that, that, that we ask and, I, and that we should ask ourselves and that I, I constantly ask myself as well. And, and sometimes, particularly morning prayer, morning prayer is, I, I, I almost want to confine it to just saying, hi, God, <laughs> right? But, but to really, to push myself and to press in to really spending some time. And I would say, don't start, don't, if you're not praying in the morning and you want to start praying in the morning, don't start by praying an hour. You won't make it, okay? I, w- I would give yourself three minutes, or seriously, or less, and then build. Build on that. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Because if you're like me, it, it's, when, when I was younger, when I'd wake up in the morning, it's like, okay, I got to do this, 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 and that, right? Some of you are that way, right? Now when I wake up in the morning, it's like, okay, I've got to do, okay, what was that? And I'm trying to remember what this, 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 and this was, right? So I've got to spend the first hour trying to remember what I'm supposed to do today, right? This is a Sunday. I do write some things down, Tim, but thanks for that. <laughs> anyway, um, maybe not as much as I should. I do, I do carry a, a yearly planner in my, in my briefcase, so, so it helps. Um, that way, I'll, I'll try to make it to men's breakfast on the 8th of January instead of sleeping. Well, I, wasn't, I was awake, though. But develop in your life a habit of morning and evening prayer. I, I, think, it, I, I think it's so beneficial and you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you on my, on my evening prayers, I bet you I fall asleep through half of them. Um, but I have spent that time just between God and I. When I get up in the morning and to, to read something, to read, read a psalm, to read a prophet, to read a gospel, and, and, and just to read that before God. And, and to spend some time doing that and to allow that to inform our lives and, and allow these rhythms to become part of a normal, natural habit of life. The burning of the incense because we recognize his divinity. The frankincense speaks to his divinity. And then thirdly, the myrrh. Now, myrrh, myrrh is, it's, it's an interesting uh, element to use to illustrate this as a gift for Jesus because myrrh in that time was primarily used to embalm people. Now, it was fragrant. You had to actually beat on it to get the fragrance out of it. You had to actually break the, the branches. It, it's extracted from from some kind of bush out in Arabia somewhere. 
uh, and you actually had to kind of beat on it to to get the fragrance to 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 uh, radiate. But it was used primarily for embalming. Now, if gold speaks of his lordship, if frankincense speaks of his divinity, what in the world would myrrh speak of? Do you bury a god? Speaks of his humanity. It speaks of his humanity and it speaks of his sacrifice that he would one day come and give his life as a ransom for many. It's, it's really a prophetic expression of his own death. And, and so what you have here at the very beginning of the book of Matthew is the shadow of the cross that's already been given. What, what's um, interesting about myrrh as well, um, again, going back to Exodus 30, they would take myrrh and they would liquefy it somehow. Don't ask me how. But they would liquefy it, and it was the primary ingredient in the anointing oil that they would use. Now, this, this incense that's described in Exodus 30, this anointing oil that's described in Exodus 30, God said very plainly, don't, don't you try to copy it. Don't try to make it. This is holy. This is holy unto the Lord. Don't, don't, don't make it and profane it. And he was, he was very serious about this particular compound of, of the anointing oil and the incense. They were two separate things, right? Used in the worship of God. And the primary ingredient of the anointing oil was myrrh. Now, what's special about the anointing oil? The Lord instructed Moses to instruct Aaron, who was the high priest, to anoint all of the utensils, all of the uh, uh, furniture in the tabernacle, to anoint it with this special anointing oil because it marked uh, those utensils as holy to the Lord. But what else was anointed? Kings and priests and where else? Who else? They actually anointed prophets. It's not, it's not widely talked about. It is talked about in... in um, in uh, uh, First Kings, where Elijah is told by the Lord to go anoint Elisha. So this word anoint, we, we think of it as, as son, kind of the spiritual thing. Back in the Old Testament, when they said you go anoint someone, it meant you use this special anointing oil and then you would put that on them. And so they would be marked as something that was holy and special to the Lord. So it is marking that the, the, the incarnate ministry of the Lord God when he came and he was Emmanuel, God with us. It also foreshadowed his death in John 19, 39. It says that Nicodemus, who was, uh, who remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3, who came to Jesus by night, uh, he came and he brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 100 pounds, to, uh, to uh, begin to uh, prepare Jesus' body for burial. Remember, they never got to do the final job. Why? Because Jesus resurrected from the dead prior to that. 
Murrah also speaks of this idea of brokenness. Where Isaiah chapter 53 says he was wounded for our transgressions. And it speaks about, about how, how the Lord was, was even in his earthly ministry was broken and despised among men. Psalm 51 verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Actually, of all these things, I think myrrh is probably one of the fullest of all these gifts because it speaks of so many different things, of his brokenness, of his humanity, of his uh, prophetic expression of his impending death and sacrifice for us on the cross. And these were the things that Matthew tells us that out of their treasure... Now, this word in the Greek is interesting because it refers almost to this idea of, of, as if they brought along a treasure, treasure chest, right? They didn't have debit cards back then, okay, right? So they couldn't just, you know, go to the ATM, get out some, you know, get out some shekels or whatever the case may be and then bring those to Jesus. They brought like this treasure chest with them. It was out of their treasure that they brought the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Matthew 6.21 says, for where your treasure is, same Greek word, there your heart is also. They opened up the treasure chest To worship Jesus. So as I as I think about this, I it, it challenges me to not only to challenge myself but to challenge you as well. Where is your treasure? And what what kind of gold, frankincense, and myrrh are you willing to hop on the back of a camel? I'm speaking figuratively now. Go across the desert for months and then to leave them at the feet of the king of the Jews, Jesus Christ. What does our worship consist? Not just when we're here and singing songs, but when we live and move and have our being. What does our worship consist of? What is it that we will begin to even seek the Lord for his direction of what is it, Lord, that we lay at your feet in 2021? Because they're saying it's not going to be much better than this next year than it was this last year. Isn't Isn't that fun? But he's got us this far. We're still here. How are we faithfully going to worship him in 2021? And so, Lord, by your spirit, would you answer that question in each of our hearts? How are we to walk with you? How are we to recognize your lordship? How are we to recognize your divinity? How are we to recognize your humanity? in all that you are, all that you've done, 
all that you do and all that you will be doing. Help us to see that, that light as these magi saw that light. Help us to faithfully pursue the light, that calling, that voice, that inkling. Help us to, to faithfully walk in those things that you've called us to walk in. We pray, Lord, that you would open doors that no man could shut and that you would shut doors that no man could open. We pray too, Lord, that you would lead us beside the still waters as the psalmist wrote, that you would restore our souls. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we pray, Lord, that you would be blessed this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.